All right. Let's see. We are... Round three begins in Job 11 here. So, warning, I do know we have a couple of folks visiting. Sorry. <laughs> you're, you're picking up in the middle of Job. It hasn't been that depressing, right? We can, we can vouch for that. It hasn't been that bad. I feel like the volume. Okay, here we go. <laughs> if nothing else, it freaks me out when the audio changes. As long as you guys can still hear me. If you can't hear me or suddenly, you know, don't just fall asleep on me. Throw something or that way we know and we'll get it fixed from there. But there is benefit, as I was mentioning earlier, there is great benefit in seeing the broken thinking as it is presented in Scripture because it does help you think through. And that's why I've said from the very beginning of this, I want you as we go through this to think through, how would you answer these things? So when the friends are complaining, think through, or when they're trying to offer advice, think through what's broken in the advice what are the good things? What are the things that are completely messed up? What's salvageable? What is not? When Job is lamenting, which, just warning, Job's lamenting kind of picks up as we go through this book. So where it has been, you know, a chapter for one person and then a chapter for Job, that's gonna, that ratio is going to start to accelerate to Job's favor. One is because, well, what's the name of the book? So you're going to hear more of Job than everybody else. That's one. The other part of that, though, is... When you continually allow people who are reasoning poorly to continue reasoning poorly, your response to them typically becomes longer and longer and longer because like, you keep feeling like you're saying the same thing, but nobody's actually getting it. And as humans who want to be heard, we do what? We, just, we, either, do it, we either say it louder or we say it again and again and again and again and again. Now... <laughs> unfortunately. Now, this matters for your world because I told you from the very beginning, you have a worldview. You have a way that you encounter the universe around you, a way that you think through these things. What my goal, what scripture's goal is, is to reorient that, to reprogram it so that you think through these things with God in mind. Again, believe it or not, I'm literally just picking the next trivia question in line. I don't plan those. And so sometimes it just works out. Your beginning and your ending should be where? In God, in all of these things. Now, if you don't have that, you have no foundation. As Jesus would tell you, you have no solid rock. You have shifting sand. So your thinking begins to drift. And what if, what's, our, what's our equation? When thinking begins to go, what's going to follow it? actions, because what you desire, what you want out of this world will determine how you think about this world, and how you think about this world will determine how you live in this world. Well, when the thinking goes broken, even if the desire is halfway decent, if the thinking is off, the actions cannot be on the right track. Welcome to Job. That's kind of how this breakdown works. So again, we will not read all of it. I encourage you to read all of it, though. It is good for you. Go through this. Lament with those who lament. It's not that bad. I saw that face. <laughs> the entire book isn't even that long of read, which, ooh, I haven't mentioned this in a couple weeks. There is where the bulletins normally are on this little table out here. There's a little chart that if you're looking for like a guideline on how to read scripture and maybe just some places to start, that gives you a rough estimate of how long it'll take the average reader to get through a book. So if you're a fast reader, you'll be a little ahead of that. If you're a slower reader, you'll be a little bit behind that. But there's a whole pile of them that you can read in like under half an hour. So in less time than you would watch the news, not that anybody watches the news anymore, 
you could read a Bible book, which would be definitely good for you. So just shameless plug. There you go. That's out there. So let's dive in with Zophar, which again, if you're looking for a name, you know, grandkids coming along, you need, you want a unique name in kindergarten, not going to be a lot of Zophars running around, but there is one here in chapter 11. Then Zophar the Namathite answered, Shall a multitude of words go unanswered, and a talkative man be acquitted? Shall your boasts silence men, and shall you scoff and none rebuke? Right, let's, let's translate that from ancient Old Testament to modern English. You're just going to keep talking until we all shut up and go away? Because <laughs> that's kind of the argument here from Job. Now, let's give credit where credit is due. Is this a good rebuke? If someone's just talking and talking and talking but not saying anything, what should they do? They need to be quiet. How do they know they need to be quiet? How will they know if someone doesn't tell them, right? <laughs> but is this not also biblical wisdom in action? Yes, Proverbs. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. That's Proverbs 17, Proverbs 18. The first to plead his case seems right, until another comes, comes, uh, comes along and examines him. The cast lot puts an end to strife and decides between the mighty ones. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. In other words, be patient. Evaluate what is going on. Put it the way the New Testament puts it, James 1. This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So we want to be thinking. We want to be slow. The person who always has an immediate opinion about everything, how often are they right? How often are they wise? And how often should you take their advice? This is why I tell you don't watch the news, because... Isn't this what we have devolved public discourse to? Is everything must be reacted to? Like that? This is why I get a kick out of church history. You'll see things in church history like, okay, the Roman Catholic Church's response to the Protestant Reformation was the Council of Trent. It took 20 years. <laughs> Can you imagine a church conference that was on again and off again for two decades? But that's how long it took people to travel to, to sit down, to hash these things out, to travel back, to try to implement them, to get input, to come back, to hash things out, to talk about them, to travel back. I mean, you would see these things where people would communicate by letter, and it would take weeks to get a letter from one end of Europe to the other, depending on what was going on, and who was at war with who else, and who was getting robbed, and who was in prison, and what happened. Yeah, and then the horses are broken and whatever happened. I mean, life has a way of being thought through differently when it takes a while to go through things. This is biblical. Part of the danger of the modern world is how quickly do you get information? How quickly are you required to think about it? And how quickly does it then go away? That's the other part. How long do you think about that big event from two weeks ago? There's, there's something else. We got something else. We throw it on the front page. We'll throw it on the splash. You can put it on that little scrolly thing on the bottom of every channel. There's always another thing for you to pay attention to, to you to keep up with. The world is training you and encouraging you in the opposite of biblical wisdom. It is training and encouraging you to not think deeply, to not evaluate what's going on, but to just react, react. Quick, spat it out. Move on to the next thing. Don't pay any attention to this. Throw that away. Pick that up. Drop this. Is there any wonder that so many people are just 
I need some pills or I need something to drink. I need some, people need something in this world because they're frazzled all the time. The biblical cure is what? Stop. Slow down. Think about this. Let's talk about this. Let's understand what is going on and how we are to react. This is a good start. So far, it's not going to end well. I'm going to warn you now, but this is a good start. For you have said, go to verse 4 and following, My teaching is pure, and I am innocent in your eyes. But would that God might speak, and open his lips against you, and show you the secrets of wisdom. For sound wisdom has two sides. Know then that God forgets a part of your iniquity. You know, that's almost really good. I don't want to hear Job, I want to hear who? I want to hear God. I don't want to make accusations. I want to hear what God's case is. And this, this is the last part. For sound wisdom has two sides. Know then that God forgets a part of your iniquity. That almost sounds like mercy, doesn't it? That almost sounds like expounding on the grace of God. And we've talked about this before. This was the argument from last week, was that the, the request from Bildad was to do what? Let's go back and see what the elders have said, what the wise people before us. Well, what was the lesson from early on? What should Adam and Eve have gotten in the garden? Eat anything of the tree, any fruit of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's the one tree they grabbed? What was the punishment? In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In the day that they ate of it, God shall surely make clothes to cover your skin and cover you with his grace and mercy and cast you out of the garden so that his plan for redemption can go forward. It's almost like something changed there. It's almost as if there was a merciful, loving, caring God that covered for their sin and sacrificed on their behalf so that they might live. Hmm, would we know anything like that in modern Christianity? Anything, anything at all? No. <laughs> it's almost like the message hasn't changed any, because it hasn't. This is good. This is good. We want to point this out every time that we see it. <clears throat> so, Zophar is going to move on to a description of God. Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than the grave, what can you know? And by the way, just a quick aside, I'm going to do that a lot whenever you see this. So anytime it's on the screen, don't panic. In Hebrew thought, Sheol is the grave. It is the realm of the dead. It is not necessarily a realm of judgment or anything like that. So since that gets confusing, and I don't have to say this every time we do this, a lot of times I just edit on the fly as I'm reading, and every time the NASB translates it literally as Sheol, I just say the grave. So there you go. Don't panic when you see that now. <laughs> now. Again, this is a decent description. This is something the prophets would hang on. Isaiah makes this point later on, Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and the Lord will have compassion upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than than your thoughts. This is a consistent description of God, isn't it? He's gracious. He is merciful. He is powerful. He is beyond our understanding. Now stop. Based on that, should you be able to offer Job some comfort in this time of need? You would think you could, right? Based on that knowledge and that knowledge alone, you would think you'd be able to look at Job and say, 
We know God is loving. We know that you have been redeemed and that you have sought him with all of your heart. We know that he has rescued you. And we know that that mercy abides because we know that God is unchanging. Therefore, he hasn't forgotten you. And this is a tragedy, but God's work is deeper than how you feel. God's work is beyond what makes you happy today, which means there is an abiding joy in his salvation, and you can learn and grow and disciple in the midst of your tragedy. Now, is that going to make Job feel better right now? Probably not. But is that not what Job needs right now? A reminder that his anchor is in God. His hope is in the kingdom and that the Lord's work is not a work of, ready for it, smiting, but it is a work of redeeming and kingdom building. In other words, over time, Job will learn to guide how he feels about this based on what he knows about this. That's where we should go. That's where godly advice should take you. I got really bad news for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's, I want it to, I really, really do, but, but, but it doesn't. Verse 13, if you would direct your heart right and spread out your hand to him, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and do not let wickedness dwell in your tents. Okay, this is sort of almost a call for repentance, isn't it? If you have sin, do what with it? Get rid of it. If you have iniquity in your heart, set your heart right. What's the problem with that? Christian, how are you doing cleaning up your heart? How are you doing cleaning up your mind? How are you doing cleaning up even your words? I mean, how's that working out for you on a day-to-day basis when you decide that I'm going to be better at this? Has that ever worked one time in human history? No. This is why the psalmist would tell you, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, Zophar's already forgotten his first call. I want to hear from God. You want to tell me to repent? Great. You know what you need to do next? Tell me what you want me to repent of. Because I don't like my sin either. So if you tell me I need to repent of sin, I agree. Which one? Help me out here. Because <laughs> if I knew about it, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be trying to kill it. Why do we call them blind spots? Because you don't see them. If you could see it, it wouldn't be an actual blind spot. And if you could see the sin and iniquity destroying you and tearing you apart, you would do what with it? You would destroy it. You would kill it. You would rid yourself of it. But you're not seeing it. You're not paying attention. You need godly counsel to come in, put you on the right track, give you godly wisdom, and then walk with you. Not, you know what you need to do? You need to go get rid of that sin in your heart. What sin in my heart? What am I, Jimmy Carter now? I have lust in my heart. Sorry. Sorry, Jimmy Carter turned into Bill Clinton there, didn't he? Yeah. I don't know what that one was. (laughs) Sorry. Presidential impressions aren't my strong suit. I do what I can, though. I mean, what am, you want me to get rid of sin? Great. Which one? You want God to speak? Great. Start talking for him or point me to where this wisdom may be found. See, this is the problem. So he continues. Then indeed, you could lift up your face without moral defect, and you would be steadfast and not fear. Now, this is why I say Zophar's advice goes off the rails. Hasn't Job already done this? I mean, go back to the beginning. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When his 
to curse God and die. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. What was his description in the beginning? Blameless and upright, right? Fearing God, turning away from evil. He was genuinely on the right track. And yet, we've seemingly found moral defect. We've seemingly found a downcast face. We don't have what you're telling me I should have if I was being godly. And as best as human beings can do, Job was doing pretty good. This is why you have to evaluate your life differently. This is why you have to start not with you, not with your feelings, but with God, who he is and what he has done and is doing. This is what Jesus did going into the temple, John 9. As they passed by, saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Just process that for a second. Like, how wicked was this guy before he was even born that God cursed him with blindness? Just process how messed up up of a question that is or how brutal of a worldview that is that it was a perfectly understandable thought to be like so how bad were this dude's parents that god punished them like this who what kind of monstrosity do you worship what kind of horrendous thing do you follow in this world that is a starting point with god based on not scripture but you taking the world and imparting it onto scripture And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Christian, this is why having Christian friends, advice givers, advisors, there's a word for those people. Oh my goodness. (sighs) Friends, even acquaintances, advisors who will actually point you in a godly direction is so vitally important. Why can't Zophar tell him what the problem is? Because he doesn't know. Zophar doesn't know. For all the help, for all the help that these friends are going to be, where did their showing up to talk to Job start with? That they heard about what had happened to Job, and they got together to meet so they could travel together, because it was safer to travel together than it would be by themselves, more than likely. Are they there? Were they Involved in day-to-day life, it does not appear as though they were, which means they're now going to give this, they're going to give their advice from where? Over here. We're going to assume based on how we see the world and how we see the world is based too often on who we are and what we think this place should be rather than on who God is and what he has done. That's why Paul warns you in Galatians 6, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. I've told you to celebrate both aspects of the church, that we have a church visible and a church invisible. So the church visible, look around. Those are the people sitting next to you, across from you, on the other side of the room from you, even the ones you don't like, okay? The church invisible is, even them, even them. (laughs) The church invisible is every Christian everywhere. The people you will never meet, the people on the other side of the globe. The other way that you'll hear it described, which comes out of Roman Catholic teaching, is um, the church militant versus the church triumphant. 
So there is the concept of the church militant, the church that is at war, where you are at battle day in and day out, versus the church that is triumphant, the church that is conquered according to the ages, the one that is victorious in Christ. Simpler to think about it as visible and invisible. The ones you see versus the ones you don't. Now, I love the church invisible. It is everything good and right and perfect that Scripture describes about God's people. But we have to love the church visible as well because it is the same thing. It may have faults. It may have warts. Hi, that's me. I'm one of the warts. You might be one of the faults. Congratulations. Welcome to the band. It may have all sorts of brokenness inside of it, but it is redeemed of God. It is holy and glorious in his sight, and it is his chosen means of discipleship, encouragement, and walking in truth to his kingdom. You need it. I need it. I've told you this before. If left to my own devices, my wife will vouch for this. If left to my own devices, I would just like sit by myself <laughs> all the time. Like I, I keep, you know, it's good when people gather together. They need to see other people. They do? Who are these people that need to see other people? Like me and my own thoughts. I live there way too often. I, I blame being an only child <laughs> who lived in the middle of nowhere for much of my childhood. I don't need to live like that. It's neither good nor wise for me to be alone, because it's neither good nor wise for anyone to be alone. Thanks be to God that he's building a church, that he's building a community, that he is strengthening his people so that there are counselors, so that there are people who walk together, so that we can persevere in godliness. We need it. It's not just that we would prefer it to be like that. We need it. Because when left to your own devices, again, who lies to you the most? Yeah, you know who lies to me the most? Me! You know who justifies things? Me. You know who argues with me the most? Me. I need to get out of that, actually make sense of the world, not based on me, but based on God. And even when I think I'm doing a really good job, I need to make sure that I'm seeing how that actually plays out and seeing how God is at work in the lives of various people because it's an encouragement and it is good for me. And it starts in a local congregation. That's kind of part of the breakdown here. You're seeing the failures of that. Who was the priest for Job's family? Job was. Who was offering sacrifice? Job. Who was teaching the children? Job. What do we not see? Now, maybe there was better community. Have you seen it yet? Because I haven't. Hasn't shown up, which means odds are it wasn't there. It needs to be. It should have been there then, Christian. It needs to be there now, which means you have to check where your priorities are. So, this continues. I lost my spot. For you would forget your trouble as waters that have passed by. You would remember it. Your life would be brighter than noonday. Darkness would be like the morning. Then you would trust because there is hope and you would look around and rest securely. You would lie down and none would disturb you and many would entreat your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail and there will be no escape for them and their hope is to breathe their last. Now again, I have no problems with, with, with what Zophar, you say that three times fast, fast, oh my goodness, okay. Whew. I have no problems with what Zophar is trying to communicate. The problem is he's missed the starting point. So we did not pass go, we did not collect $200, we just started in the middle and then tried to make sense of everything that has gone beyond. In the heart of the repentant person, in the heart of the person redeemed of God, trusting in him and walking faithfully. This all makes perfect sense. You will be comforted. You will be secure. You will be at peace. You will have rest. Aren't these all the promises of scripture? And the answer to that is yes. 
Yes, they are. But if they do not start with a relationship between you and God based upon the work of Christ, then they're based upon, I have no idea what. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father but by him. So if you don't go through the narrow gate and you have not traveled the narrow road, then you don't get to go that direction. Oh, historical example. Um, I've told you before, I'll tell you again, I will, I will die on this hill. Read Pilgrim's Progress. And at the very least, watch the movie. There's several good versions of it. I think I still own one on DVD if you'd like to borrow it. But the, it's an allegory of the Christian life. So the main character is called Christian. And he is traveling the king's highway to the celestial city. So it's a Christian progressing down the path of redemption towards sanctification and eternity with God. And along the way, he keeps encountering various trials and difficulties and basically his own sin getting in the way. And what I love is they don't have any complicated names. <laughs> so like when he goes off the path and he goes to this city of sin, it's Vanity Fair because it is based upon all the wickedness. And like one of the people that tries to convince him that there's a different way to do things is named Worldly Wisdom. I mean, John Bunyan was not joking. He was like, hey, here's the problem. And it's obvious, okay? I can't remember who the characters are, but there are two characters that try to hop over a fence to get on the highway and travel along. They end up dying. They don't make it. Oh, uh, 12 some? No, no, not a 12 some. I keep wanting to give them more credit. It's, uh, it's got to be post-Reformation, so 16th, 17th century England. Yeah, John Bunyan actually, fun story, John Bunyan actually wrote it in jail. He was in prison, so right around, I want to say 16th century. And in between writing, his, um, he had 12 children, I believe. And his oldest daughter, who was blind, would bring him materials to the prison so that he could make shoelaces so that she could sell them to provide for the family. <laughs> and in the middle of that, he was writing Pilgrim's Progress. And the whole time, he could have left the jail anytime he wanted, on one condition. Stop preaching the gospel. And he could leave. And he's like, no, no, I'm good. Because if you let me out, I'm going to go preach some more. So instead, he couldn't talk, so he wrote. Uh, to this day, I think Pilgrim's Progress is the second best-selling book of all time. Scripture's number one. Pilgrim's Progress is number two. It's awesome. Find an abridged version so that it makes a little bit more sense. But yeah, that's part of the problem is these two guys hop over the fence. They don't make it because unless you go through the wicked gate, unless you travel the king's highway from the very beginning, you do not actually attain to the prize. So, <sighs> you ready for everything to go downhill worse than it already is? Sorry, it can't be helped. Then Job responded, <laughs> truly then you are the people, and with you wisdom will die. I have intelligence as well as you. I am not inferior to you, and who does not know such things as these? I'm a joke to my friends. The one who called on God, and he answered him, the just and blameless man is a joke. <laughs> I told you, we were going, we have crashed, we have burned, there were no survivors. Now, to Job's defense, their advice has been awful. And their comfort has been terrible. Like, if this had been, like, somebody in your family that had died, and they were sitting in your living room saying this, you'd have thrown them out. And if you hadn't thrown them out, I would have thrown them out for you at this point. I mean, it'd be like, no, we, you know, get out. We are not playing this game any longer. So, to Job's defense... I get that, but what are we forgetting already? I don't care what they think. I don't care what their opinion is. I want, we, let's go back to Zophar's good advice. Who do we want to hear from? 
I want to hear from God. I don't care what you think of me. I want to know what God thinks of me. And is, isn't that at the core, the fight that Job is having? Is that he thought, based on the blessings of this life, based on the goodness of this world, based on everything that God had done for him, he thought that he and God were pretty good, right? He thought we were on good terms. And now everything has been taken away. The wealth, the family, my health, it's all gone. And the only lens that this gets read through is that God's angry with me and I, he has judged me and I don't know what and I don't know why. I want somebody to explain this to me. And nobody's willing to start there and say, Job, that's the problem. You think this is a judgment. You think this is punishment. You think you explain God rather than understanding God to explain you. You have this backwards. This is why I tell you, how would you answer? What would you say? Because the overarching theological term for this book is called theodicy. It is, in proper English, the problem of evil. So there was a rabbi in the 80s who wrote a book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And of course, the obvious punchline answer is what? There are no good people, so why do bad things happen to terrible people? Let's start there. And I think we've just answered our question. Look, this is why nobody writes that book. It'd be one page long, and you wouldn't pay $12.95 for it. See, this is the problem. <laughs> but wait, there's more. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> exactly. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Oops. All right, we have 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. You think I'm kidding. Those two books were written, were actually, honest to goodness, written. Those are real things. <laughs> we aren't starting with the right place. Therefore, yes, I'm mad at them because I'm mad at God because I think God is mad at me. What I want out of this world is disordered. Therefore, how I think about this world is disordered. Therefore, the things that I'm saying in the life that I'm living has become disordered. So he insults them some more. He who is at ease, yeah, who, he who is at ease holds calamity and contempt as prepared for those whose feet slip. The tent of the destroyers prosper, and those who provoked God are secure, whom God brings into their power. Again, not understanding and not seeing the interworkings of relationships rightly. What should happen? Go back to Galatians 6. Bear one another's burdens, and therefore, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. In other words, be looking at your life. Be thinking about it based on what? Who God is and what he has done. So let's go to verse 7. Now, ask the beasts. Let them teach you. The birds of the heavens, and let them tell you. Speak to the earth, and let it teach you. All right, time out. Who knows the truth about God? Let's summarize Job real quick. Who and what knows the truth about God? Everything. Everything. Paul doesn't come up with this idea out of thin air when he says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and the godliness of men because that which they knew about God was clearly seen. That's Romans 1, 18 through 20, paraphrase version. They are without excuse because they know. That's why I've told you before, my um, favorite good laugh on Christian videos is Ray Comfort videos on the Santa Monica Pier. It's a camera, it's a microphone, and the other person. But if God were to judge you today, would he send you to heaven or hell? I don't believe in God. Yes, you do. <laughs> and they say, no, no, I don't. Yeah, you do. 
There's no such thing as a God. Yes, there is, and you know it. I mean, did, how no one has smacked that man, I have no earthly idea. It is the grace and mercy of God on clear display because that's his argument. Whenever he, how much time does your Bible spend proving God? None of it. None of it. He's there. You know it. I know it. I know that you know it. You know that I know that you know it. And we're done here. And that's how Ray deals with the people. I don't believe in God. Yes, you do. We both know that you know he's there. That's why you're angry at him. I've told you before, the two most obvious tenets of the angry atheist are what? God doesn't exist and I hate him. And as soon as you make sense of that, everything else in the world will be perfectly clear to you. Because this is the problem. The sin against God that is indulged in is not just, oops, oh no, I've just fallen into it and how will I ever get out? This is, I'm angry because I don't want you to tell me what's right and good. What's the number one complaint for people? I could never become a Christian. You people don't have any. (laughs) Now, does the world look like it's having a ton of fun right now? No, no, it doesn't. So why do they think that it is? Because their idea of fun is whatever God has said is not for human flourishing and it is not for human function. Oh, it's like, it's, it's like giving your five-year-old a list of the food he's not supposed to eat and then putting all of that food in front of him, in front of him and leaving the room. What's going to happen? Here's the broccoli. This is what you do eat. Here's the chocolate chip cookies. These are what you don't eat. Then you walk away. When you come back, what's going to be gone? <laughs> With smears, right? be using the broccoli as a napkin to buff it off his cheeks. <laughs> Did you eat that cookie? No. <laughs> I've asked you this way. I mean, which one of you taught your kids to lie to you about that sort of stuff, right? You all did that, right? When they were about two, you sat down, a little PowerPoint presentation in a seminar. All right, when mommy asks you or daddy asks you what happened to the cookies, you say, I don't know. And then you smear some chocolate on your face to make it obvious that you've lied to us, okay? All right, good job. Good, good meeting. Go team. <laughs> You didn't do that meeting, did you? You've all experienced that, haven't you? Yeah, because they're sinners. They need Christ. They need redemption. They need to have their hearts transformed because when left to their own devices, what will they become? They will become what you see in the world around you because I want what I want. That's the first step into the anger. That's the first problem. Now, What happens when they take that desire and then they slap a little biblical wisdom on it? It starts looking like Job and his friends. This is the problem. Verse 10. In whose hands is the life of every living thing? This is still talking about God. And the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes its food? Wisdom is with aged men. With long life life is understanding. Once again. Everything and everyone knows, including you old codgers who are trying to give me terrible advice. You know the truth. Why isn't your advice any better than this? Where does wisdom rest? With God. Where should your advice therefore rest? With God. Where is it resting? Somewhere else. Isaiah 45. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Listen to this. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Now, this matters. 
Because the mistake we make as Christians when we engage in theodicy, the mistake we make when we try to answer the problem of evil is we are determined to make sure that who doesn't get the blame? God. Who's taking the credit for everything? God. Creating, making light, creating darkness, causing well-being, creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. See, our trying to justify God in our understanding creates a God in our image. You're seeing that on full display. Well, God didn't send that hurricane. Well, time out, chief. If there are weather events outside of the purview of God's control, then can you answer me a really important question? Who did control it? And who did send it? And then where was God that this apparently sovereign being didn't have any say over what's going on? Is that not the most horrifying thing you've ever thought of? That there would be events, large, catastrophic things that God is going, I, I wish I could do something, but there's just, <laughs> I'm trying, guys. I'm doing the best that I can. Is, is that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Is that I am the Lord and there is no other? There is no God besides me. Which is again why I said, what's the advice that should be for Job? that we know who he is. We know what he has done. We have seen his mercy and his grace on display. And yes, this is hard. And yes, this is terrible. And yes, we mourn and we weep with you, but you are still here. God has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He is pruning you. He is refining you. He is strengthening you for some work in his kingdom. Now, I don't even know what that work is, and you may not even know what that work is, but you know what we both know? It's coming that you are to strengthen hands, that you are to lift up hearts, that you are to worship, work, and serve in a kingdom that he is running, not one that's just spinning willy-nilly, but a God who has done these things for you. Notice the big difference between for you and to you. The lesson I always try to give my kids, when I ask them to toss me something, there's a difference between throwing something to someone and throwing it at someone. (laughs) <laughs> you know what kids always do, right? <laughs> they throw it. <laughs> like, nah. There's a difference between God doing things to you and doing things for you. Because we know that he works all things to his glory for those who are called according to his purpose. Now time out. What's the purpose? For those whom he's called, he's justified, and those who he's justified, he's sanctified, and those who he's sanctified, he will glorify. The purpose is what? You're standing before him blameless with great joy. Which means, again, I don't know if this is what happened because I'm not Job, but if Job made an entire idol out of his life, out of his wealth, out of his work as priest for his family, and out of his children's blessings because of who he is and the sacrifices that he has made and all that he has accomplished, what is the most gracious and good thing for his heart and soul that a loving God could do to those idols? Take them away. That is hard, because he loves them, and he cares about them. Christian, have you ever not loved and cared about your idols? What do you need to do? They need to go. They need to die. How do we kill them? With fire, because we have to be serious about this. Your beginning and ending is supposed to be in God. If it's anywhere else, 
This is the type of wisdom. Okay, it came back. <laughs> this is the type of wisdom that you get. This is the type of brokenness that you suffer from because you think that your beginning and ending should be about you or this world, anything other than a service and a salvation that is found and secured in God. Peter tells you this. When you're undergoing persecution, you rejoice in what? That you have an inheritance reserved for you in heaven. It's 1 Peter 1. And in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you have suffered trials of various kinds. It's 1 Peter 1, about 3 through 6-ish. Go read 1 Peter 1, it'll do you good. That's where the hope is. It's not in here. It's in the pruning that here is bringing me towards. That's what's missing. That's what's not being seen. So, because of that, Job gets to continue. Verse 13, with him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. Behold, he tears down and it cannot be rebuilt. He imprisons a man and there can be no release. Behold, he restrains the waters and they dry up. He sends them out and they inundate the earth. Now time out. Are you noticing the problem here already? How many times have I told you that there are two sides of the coin? That God is love and mercy and grace and he is also justice and wrath and righteousness. What are we seeing right here? What is Job talking about? We got a whole lot of wrath, don't we? A whole lot of destruction, not a whole lot of mercy. We've seemed to have forgotten that. When you forget that, are you understanding God as he is, or God as you have made him in your own mind? A God made in your image will always, always, always fall short. Not sometimes, Always, because idols will crush you. They will destroy your heart, break your spirit, and destroy your life because they can't help it because they are sin. They are sin incarnate, sin being worshipped in your very existence. Deuteronomy 32. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Realize the work that they're praising. See, this is why I like the praises of Exodus and Deuteronomy, because Deuteronomy is Moses' speech after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness before the Israelites go into the promised land. So when Moses is talking about his righteous works, his mighty deeds, what is Moses talking about? Predominantly? No, 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 no. What works of God is Moses proclaiming? What works of God is he celebrating? Egypt. The Exodus. Now, let's change some things here. If you're an Israelite on the cusp of entering into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, were the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's army a just and righteous work of God? Yes! But, <laughs> if you were an Egyptian, would you be like, oh yes, praise the Lord for killing all of us. Go team. <laughs> this is why they don't get out of hell. This is why they do not escape judgment, because they don't recognize the righteousness of God in judging sin. They don't recognize the justice of God in condemning their iniquity. They say, how dare you? And they never stop saying that, because the heart is broken. The mind is depraved and the actions are sinful to their very core. And that's what's always happened and what's always going to happen. Christian, that's the pull of the world. That's where they're going to leave you every time. Because again, they're not neutral. You're either on the narrow road or you are not. There's not another highway cruising along connecting the two. This 
Stop doing that. Thank you. (laughs) This understanding of only wrath, of only anger, of only destruction, we are just being smited and there's nothing else, is an understanding that is not based upon God, but based upon how I feel. And the way I feel is angry because I don't like what I'm experiencing. So, Job wants a fight. Guess who Job wants to fight? Verse th- uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 3, actually. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue with God. What could possibly go wrong with that idea? Sorry, Sally, 13.3, I messed you up. I, I skipped a, little, a bunch on you. <laughs> she's got to find it because she's on like 25.12, there you go. <laughs> or 12.25, there you go. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong with this plan? What happens typically in Scripture when God shows up? What is the human reaction to God coming around? The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. That was Isaiah. Isaiah 6. My favorite is when we went through Exodus. We talked about this. God comes down, the cloud and the lightning and the thunder and the fire settles on the mountain and then God speaks and everybody goes, and says, let no one come up to the mountain. And Moses goes, all right, nobody's allowed to go up there. And all the Israelites say, duh. <laughs> like, who, was, who thought that was a good plan? Who thought, like, do you, were you going up there? Were you, I, I'm not going, I will go and speak on your behalf. <laughs> Thanks for eating the bullet on this one, Moses. We appreciate that one. Good job. Go team. We like that one. We'll be right here. You know, station borders so that no one will cross them. Why? I have to get too close to put the border up. I don't, even, I don't want to even be that close. We're good. We're, good. We're going to stay right here. Because when you're confronted with the holiness and the righteousness and the justice of God, you know what you're very aware of in yourself? That you ain't. So to sit here and say, I wish to argue with God. No, no, you don't. But sinful people do dumb things. And what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. All right. So verse 13, or no, I'm sorry, verse 13, verse 15, skip ahead, verse 15. I'll read a little further, but be silent before me so that I may speak. Then I then let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Huh? (laughs) Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. So God's going to kill me, but I trust that he won't kill me, but I'm going to argue with him. Hey, Google, what does unstable in all his ways look like? That, that, that it looks just, 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 just exactly like that. Exactly like that. Now, here's the other problem. In order to get to the place where you say, I will stand before God and I will plead my case, who do you think is perfect and righteous and just? Me! (laughs) Me! I'm going to go up there and I'm going to prove to the rest of you people that I am righteous and good. I'm going to go hide in the corner because this isn't going to end well, like, at all. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. 
So let's continue. This also will be my salvation, for a godless man may not come before his presence. Listen carefully to my speech, and let my declaration fill your ears. Behold, now I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. Who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Now question. If Job were to be granted a hearing before God and judged on everything based on what we have read in this book before now, would Job be guilty or not guilty? And justify your answer. <laughs> Go! No. And I'm serious. Think about that for a second. Would Job be guilty or not guilty? And then why would you think that? All right, you ready for my answer? Not guilty. Not guilty. You want to know what my justification is? Job 1.1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Why? Why was he blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil? Because he was just so stinking amazing, he couldn't help himself but be a righteous guy. There goes Job, I want to be like him when I grow up. Job was just so awesome and special, he just couldn't help himself but be a good guy, right? No. What changes the actions? A changed mind. What changes the mind? A changed heart. Job's not guilty because Job is redeemed. Is Job broken? Yes. Get in line. Is Job sinning left and right? Yes. Get in line. Is Job angry? Yes. Is Job being carried along? Absolutely. The reason why Job has not gone any farther than he has is because God is with him. I've told you before. Sometimes there's that dragging along by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> This is what it looks like sometimes. This is what the brokenness of humanity contending with the world and your own flesh rising up inside of you to contend with the new nature that God is building. This is what it looks like in real time. This always matters and remember it. Because if Job were left to himself, he would have no hope. He would have forsaken God. He would have cursed God and died, followed the advice of his wife. He'd have thrown his friends out on their heads 20 minutes ago. He'd have yelled, shook his fist, and then God would have been justified in everything. The only reason he hasn't is because God is at work in restraining that of him. This is why I've told you Job is more schizophrenic as the book goes along. It's like, I hate God and I want to die, though my Redeemer will live, and I want to contend. God's going to kill me, but my hope and be in Him. It's like, how do you get these things? You're seeing a war in real time between the old man and the new man. You're seeing Paul in Romans 7. The righteous things that I want to do, I don't do, and the unrighteous things that I don't want to do, I do. A wretched man that I am who will free me from this body of death. That's what's going on. You are seeing it. Christian, this is where you live. And we forget this about ourselves way too often. That's why we look at the world and go, well, yeah, depraved minded sinners shaking their fist at God, seeking to justify the pleasures and lusts of their eyes and flesh are going to kind of look like that. You're not walking a different direction because you're smarter than them or you're better than them. You may think more clearly. You may have more wisdom, but that's because you have God. The thing that separates the you from the them is the him. And that is all that is separated, which means the thing that separates them from being like you is also him. Why am I like this? 
Why do I live like this? Why do I fight my sin? Why do I seek to kill it? Why do I encourage you to point out my iniquity? Why do I encourage you to walk with one another so that we would put it aside, so that we would be strengthened and secure in the work that he is doing? Because that's how we walk. And that's the message that we proclaim to them. If we're going to get it wrong in us, we got no chance when it comes to getting it right out there. So we walk the way that God has called us. And it's going to look broken. In other words, don't think of Christian living like a sprint. Think of it like a pirate race. (laughs) And you all have one eye patch, a hook, and a peg leg. Which means how fast you going? I'm not going anywhere real quick, but you know what we're doing? We're still going. <laughs> we're still going. It's broken and it's hobbled and it's messed up and it's dirty and it's mucky, but you know what? We're still going. That's why I tell you to celebrate all those little steps, all those little victories, because we need every little bit of good news, because that's the work of God. That's the destruction of sin from our lives. That's the increase in holiness that we're always longing for and always looking towards. That's how he accomplishes all of these things. So, chapter 14. You ready for real rapid fire time? Because chapter 14 is just too depressing to go through in depth. And I mean that in in seriousness. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. So for six verses, Job is going to complain that life is short and it is full of sin. (laughs) Which, if you've forgotten God, is probably true. But Christian, what should we always remember? Hebrews 4. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, life is not short and sinful. Life is redeemed of God in Christ, and it is blessed, and it is being strengthened and carried along by him day by day. Remember that as you go. Verse 7. There is hope for a tree when it is cut down, that it will sprout again and its shoots will not fail. And though its roots grow old in the ground and its stump dies in the dry soil. Just just stop. It's like the world's worst poetry on the planet. Um, Job wants to die. Big shock, right? Hasn't he said that for like 12 chapters at this point? Because he thinks what? Death will be the end of everything. Except that God is the God of the living and not the dead. Anybody ever looks at you and goes, there's no idea of an afterlife in the Old Testament. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but to the others to everlasting disgrace and contempt. Daniel 12, 1 and 2. I don't know about you, but... Picking up people out of the dust of the ground to everlasting life sounds an awful like, lot like raising the dead to eternity with God to me. How about you? Yeah, I, I would agree. So, Is death the end for Job? No. And we'll actually see some of that in this book, that Job will recognize that. It's like, I want to die so that all this will end, but when this ends, I will be with God. It's like, who I want to argue with. I'm telling you. It's the breakdown. Thirteen. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you, that you would set a limit for me and remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? 
All the days of my struggle I will wait until my change comes. You will call and I will answer you and you will long for the work of your hands. For now you number my steps. You do not observe my sin. My transgression is sealed up in, the ba- in a bag and you wrap up my iniquity. Like in the midst of all of that, that was pretty good, wasn't it? Like that's, wow. That's as close as you're going to probably get to repentance from Job for about uh, 30 chapters, give or take. <laughs> just, just warning you now. But I'll take that. You know why I'll take that? Because would you have expected that to come flying out of Job's head based on everything else we've talked about? No, and neither would I. I wouldn't have either. And yet, here it is. God concealing my sin. God redeeming me. me I mean, this is... This is a hope and a trust in God based upon Scripture. And it's in the midst of the guy who wants to fight God and argue with him until he gets what he wants. Verse 18. But the falling mountain crumbles away, and the rock moves from its place. Water wears away stones, its torrents wash away the dust of the earth. So you destroy man's hopes. (laughs) We were that close. And then, literally, it washes away. Job thinks life is futile. Why? Because he can't see the forest for the trees. There's another book in your Old Testament that examines life from a human perspective. And what does it determine? That it is vanity, vanity, and striving after the wind. I'm talking about Ecclesiastes. The difference is, Ecclesiastes was started and written with a God-centered view. Which means, what conclusion did it come to? The conclusion, when all has been heard, is this. Fear God. And keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment and everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. In other words, when viewed from a human perspective, life is futile and empty and hopeless. But when viewed from an eternal perspective with God, it is glorious and right in his sight. And that's where Job should be pointed. Away from the here and now into what? An eternity grounded in God's redemption. Why should he hope in that? Because he's blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Meaning he's got the foundation. He knows who God is and what God has done on his behalf. Therefore, remember, Job, that while this be dark, the light of eternity is secured in God's kingdom. That's the hope. That's the comfort. And by the way, Christian, that's still true now. That's how we walk in this present darkness. What's the one? It's been on the back of every, well, almost every. Some some families don't do it. Guarantee you, nine out of ten. Go to a funeral home. What's going to be written on the back of that little program they make for the deceased? 23rd Psalm, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. What's Job's problem? He thinks God is against him in his darkness. He thinks that darkness has come from some other power, from some other place. And his friends are going, no, 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 God's with you and against you all at the same time. And he's like, that doesn't even make sense. You know why? Because it doesn't make any sense. Because yes, there is darkness and yes, there is sin and yes, there is problems, but there is always God. There is always grace and redemption and always a hope in his work and in his accomplishment because that's where we live. That's where we rest and where our hope lies. Let's pray.